It's time once again for another look into God's infallible book, and we want to welcome you again to another Riches of Grace. My name is Richard Jordan. It's my privilege to be your Bible teacher each week as we uh, meet together to study uh, in the Word of God. It's a great privilege to allow the Spirit of God to teach us through His Word, and we, we rejoice in the opportunity to do it here by the way of this radio uh, Bible study. This program is brought to you by Christian people that believe the Bible to be the Word of God and who appreciate its power and authority, and that's the reason we want to study His Word. You know, sometimes um, folks ask me, uh, Brother Rick, why do you go to church? You know, I've raised uh, my wife and I had three children, three boys, and uh, we have nine grandchildren now, so we've been we've been at this thing a long time. And sometimes people ask me, so why, why did you guys go to church so much? Uh, we always believed, and I, I raised my family believing, that um, if there was a reason for the church doors to be open, there was a reason for us to be there. There's something going on I want to be a part of. And why did you do that? Did you do that because there's a um, some kind of uh, reward for you? Uh, you know, God, or, or you're trying to get away from God getting mad at you? Well, what was the reason for that? You know, I don't know if, about you, but if, if you ask the average preacher to give you a verse of Scripture that says you should attend church, almost every one of them, they might not even know where it's at. But they'll quote Hebrews 10.25, Forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Um, did you know there's not a verse in the Bible, including that one, that says you should attend church? The word attend is found in 1 Timothy 4, verse 13, when Paul is writing to Timothy, telling him and giving him, as it were, the handbook for the operation of a local church. And in that book, he never says attend church. He doesn't say attend services. You know what he says? 1 Timothy 4, 13, get a Bible and read it. Give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and so forth. The thing you're to attend is reading. <laughs> the thing you need to show up every day and do is read your Bible. Get in the book and read it. Oh, what a difference it makes when you just personally have the personal intake of God's Word. Uh, sit there with a the Bible in front of you and let it have its impact in your life. There's nothing like that. Isaiah told the nation Israel, Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. Uh, first, you've got to seek out the book. You need to know you have the Bible in your hand. And that's why, you know, week after week, day after day, I say to you that if you have a King James Bible, not one of the new ver, not not a modern version, not a you know, I I I know all I know all about. It. I'm I'm up to date about it, but not an English Standard Version, not a New American Standard Version, not a New International Version. You want a Bible that has all the verses in it that ought to be there, that leaves out all the verses that shouldn't be there, and that translates all the verses the correct way. And the only Bible in the English language that does that is the King James Bible. You say, well, it's old. Well, I am too. So you, well, you're going to throw me out. Well, maybe you want to throw me out too. But the fact that it's old means it's been road tested, folks. It's been road. People are always making corrections. They say, well, you need to correct this. You've got 400 years of opportunity to see this Bible stand the test of its critics. The modern versions don't do that. Main thing is, though, that it has all the verses in the Bible that ought to be there. It doesn't have the mistakes that the new, the new Bibles have in them. You need to have in your hand. God wrote a book, and he preserved it through history, and he's caused it through the church, the body of Christ, to be translated into your language, and you have the privilege of having God's Word sitting on the table in front of you in your language where you can read it. You don't need to know anything about Greek or Hebrew or you have a college seminary education. You don't need a preacher that does all that. You, God has provided for you. In 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 a, in a King James Bible, his word in your language where you can read it and study it. You say, well, it's got words in it I don't understand. Well, you know, 
you buy a computer and the, the, the handbook for the computer's got words in it you don't understand either. My wife just got a new telephone this past week. And uh, she comes home and she's trying to figure out how to do things. And it's telling her to do something and neither one of us had an, had any idea what, what we were supposed to do. So you know what we did? Well, we figured it out. <laughs> we, we studied. We looked up. We found out. And you know what? If after a little while of applicate, of applying our, our common sense, we figured it out. Now I didn't throw that, that phone in the, in the trash can. I said, well, I just didn't understand what it says. So I'm not going to do it. Oh, you can do that, but you go around phoneless. You see, every discipline, every thinking, every everything has its, has a vocabulary uh, peculiar to it, especially designed for it. The Bible's no different than that. That's why the Bible tells you to study, seek you out the book of the Lord and read. And as you read it, you begin to study it. And as you begin to study it, you begin to understand it. Paul said, consider what I say, and the Lord give you understanding in all things. You want understanding and everything, got to get in the book and consider what Paul says. Got to think about it. So you have the Bible, and as you have the Bible, you study the Bible. And as you study the Bible, you begin to say, well, in the Bible, is there a reason I should attend church? Well, the Bible says attend reading. It never said, now, I believe in attending church, by the way. You understand that I pastor a church, as our local church brings you this, this radio broadcast. That's not the point. The point is when preachers, you ask preachers, and it's what I call preacher talk. You ask a preacher, say, well, why should we go to church? And they say, well, forsaken not the assembly of yourselves together as the manner of some is. I had a friend, I've, I've mentioned him many times about that verse. He had only been saved, uh, just a short time. The, 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 the man that introduced him to, to Christ, led him to the Lord, took him to church with him on, on the next Sunday. And on that Sunday morning, the preacher said to him, everybody's happy he's got saved. And the preacher says, now we'll be back tonight now and be sure to be back. You know, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And my friend went to him after the story. He said, where's that verse that said that? He said, it was Hebrews 10.25. He wrote it down in the bulletin. He went home that afternoon. He read it. And he said, you know, if that, oh, that's, that's a great verse. If verse 25 is good, I bet verse 26 would be good too. And he read verse 26. For if you sin willfully after that you've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. And my friend was stunned. He said, whoa, wait a minute. I thought I was saved. I thought all my sins were forgiven. I thought I had eternal life. And now, now the Bible says if we sin willfully, and dude, every sin is willful. If we sin willfully, after we pursue the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. And now he's all confused about whether he's really saved or not. So he goes back to church that night, and he asked the preacher, he said, you know, preacher, you, you, you quoted me verse 25. What's, what's verse 26? And the preacher looked at him, and he says, are you trying to cause trouble? Because verse 26 contradicted the preacher's doctrine of eternal security. <laughs> and but you see, if one verse is good, why wouldn't the other verse be better? Be, oh, not better necessarily, but be be good too. Why wouldn't you want both of them? You see, the problem with quoting Hebrews ten twenty five as a verse to tell you to go to church is that it proves too much. Because the next verse says, if you sin willfully after you receive the knowledge of the truth, that's how verse twenty five it says not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is? Well, how did how did some forsake the assembly? For if we sin willfully after we've received out the love of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. Verse 29, he says, of, of how much sore punishment suppose ye? Shall he be thought worthy 
who hath trodden underfoot the blood, the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know that, we know him that said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing, verse 31 says, to fall into the hands of the living God. But boy, you read that and you think, whoa, <laughs> attending church isn't the problem. Sinning willfully is the problem. And you know, dude, every one of us do that. So what happens is you say, what, what's going on here? What, what gives? <laughs> because if, if the verse that says that I'm going to use to say, you need to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, the next verse says, if you sin willfully, and as I said, anybody knows they do sin willful. Every sin is willful. Then what in the world is it talking about? Well, if one verse proves one thing and the next verse proves too much, you need to look at the context, don't you? And uh, what's going on in here is, first of all, look at the top of the page and see that it's written to, this is the book of Hebrews. Now, that means the book is written to Hebrews. So come back to chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1. If you read Hebrews 10.25, the assumption is you would have previously read Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Logical assumption? Sure. This is how you study the Bible. This is why you don't have to spend $30,000 a year to go to seminary to learn the Bible. You just read it. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. So the book of Hebrews talks out, starts out talking about how God in time past has spoken unto us by the prophets, and now in these last days is spoken by his Son. Now when he says in time past he's spoken by the prophets, that alerts you to the fact that the book of Hebrews is going to be about the prophetic program from time past. Now that phrase, time past, if you've been studying with us at any length, you know the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 lays out the Scripture in three timelines, in a timeline with three parts, past, present, and future. Time past, but now, and the ages to come. And time past is what the Bible calls prophecy. In Acts chapter 3, verse 21, Peter, on the day, the day, the chapter after Pentecost, he says that what he's speaking, what he's talking about, Acts 3, 21, is that which is spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets since the world began. So since God put man in the earth, he's been prophesying, speaking, and talking, and that's what Hebrews says. God in time past has spoken to us by the prophets. And now he's spoken to us by his son. So you come over to Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 3. Hebrews 2, verse 3. Here's another one of these preacher verses, by the way. How should we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Now, I bet anybody that's listening to me um, that's been involved in church life for any length of time has heard some preacher somewhere quote that verse. How should we escape if we neglect so great salvation? That's a great preaching verse. But nobody seems to ever read the rest of the passage. Because the salvation that's being escaped here, that's being neglected here, which at the first began to be spoken unto us by the Lord. Now, chapter 1 says, He spoke by the prophets, now He's spoken by the Son. So this salvation that Hebrews is about was a prophesied salvation that was preached by Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
this salvation which was first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness with signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his will. So that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the first part of the book of Acts in the Pentecostal era. So Christ began to preach the gospel of the kingdom, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then the apostles in the early Acts period continued to preach that same message. John the Baptist says he preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's the same message. By the way, that verse right there demonstrates to you that nothing new began on the day of Pentecost. You ever hear anybody say that the church that we're a part of today was birthed on, at Pentecost, that it had its start at Pentecost, that it began at Pentecost? Well, according to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, it didn't. What happened at Pentecost is a confirmation and a continuation of what Jesus was teaching in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that was a continuation of what God had been speaking by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. You see, reading a couple of verses in the Bible can really... Um, give you some light and understanding about what's going on in the Bible, can it? So you have the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and early Acts preaching the the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the, Israel's program, Israel's message. Verse number 5, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection, watch, the world to come, now listen, whereof we speak. The writer of the book of Hebrews, now I'm not talking about a preacher, I'm not talking about some, you know, commentator. The writer of the book of Hebrews is of the opinion that what he is writing about and speaking about pertains to the world to come. Its foundation is in time past in, in the prophets. It was proclaimed by Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It was confirmed by the, by the apostles in the Pentecostal era. And then it, it focuses on the ages to come, the kingdom to come. You see, this whole program focuses on the nation Israel. And Israel's kingdom program, Israel's prophesied program, it's not about you and me at all today. Our program today, Paul says in Romans chapter 16, verse 25, that we preach Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest. The prophets don't, didn't know anything about our ministry. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Lord Jesus Christ, didn't reveal anything about what about the church, the body of Christ. In the early Acts period, he didn't reveal anything to, to, to the little flock about the body of Christ. It was not until you come to the ministry of the Apostle Paul, where Jesus Christ from heaven's glory interrupts the wild rebellious career of Saul of Tarsus and saves him and then says, I have, for this cause I have appeared unto thee to make you a minister and a witness of the things that I'm showing you. And that's why Paul says, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God that's given to me to give you Gentiles, how that my revelation, the Lord Jesus Christ, made known to me the mystery, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. When you come to the ministry of the Apostle Paul in the Bible, you come to a new ministry committed by the Lord Jesus Christ to us through Paul's ministry. It interrupts the prophetic program. It, it stops the prophetic program right at the point when the wrath of God is ready to be poured out and then introduces a new, the formation of a new agency, the church, the body of Christ. 
Now, the difference in your Bible between prophecy and mystery, the only way you can miss that is to want to miss it. When you do miss it, you wind up trying to conflate everything in the Bible together. When God says you need to rightly divide the word of truth, you need to make the distinctions that are there. So why we attend church has nothing to do with why Hebrews 10, verse 25, what it's talking about. They're not forsaking the assembling of yourselves as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see, the day approaching. The day there in the context of Hebrews chapter 10 and the book of Hebrews is the day of God's wrath. And they are to maintain, they're to save themselves from this untoward generation that's going to go into the wrath of God. That isn't our program. And those books, listen, you and I are not the only people in, in God's, God's, in, in the Bible. We're not the only people in God's program. God has other people in His program. He has the nation Israel. Over 200 times in this Bible. Listen, over 200 times, 203 times, in fact, to be exact. The God of the Bible says he is the God of Israel. The nation Israel is the only nation in the earth that the God of the Bible ever says, I am that nation's God. He didn't say that about America. He didn't say it about England. He didn't say it about Korea. He didn't say it about any other nation in the earth. He said it only about the nation Israel. That's why if you don't understand God's plan and purpose for the nation Israel in the Bible, you're never going to understand the Bible. And if you don't understand the Bible, you're never going to understand the God of the Bible. That's also why everybody wants to be Israel. Have you ever noticed that? All the preachers, I don't care whether, what side of the aisle they come from, they all want to be Israel because they know the God of the Bible is the God of Israel. But you see, Romans 3, he says he's also now the God of the Gentiles. In fact, in Romans 11, he says it's through the fall of Israel that salvation has gone to the Gentiles. As concerning the gospel, Israel today are enemies for your sake. But as touching the election, the thing God planned to do, they're beloved for the Father's sake, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. He hasn't forsaken his plan and purpose for the nation Israel. He's just temporarily delayed it. And by the way, in Israel's program, they understood that. God told Moses, go down and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. He goes down and tells Pharaoh, let my people go. And then the Lord says, by the way, Moses, before I bring him out, I'm going to whack Pharaoh real good, send ten plagues. Now, that those ten plagues took months to execute. God had a purpose. I'm going to deliver my people. But first, I'm going to do something else, and I'm going to judge the nation. I'm going to judge Egypt. So he judged Egypt. Then he took them out. See, that's delay principle. Three times in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's on the way to do, to heal someone. He's on the way to do something, and he gets delayed. That delay principle in Israel's program is common. God's going to come back and destroy the adversary in the live program and establish the kingdom. You read that all through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, early Acts. Then you find out, uh-oh, he's going to delay it. First, Second Peter chapter 3, he says, God is not slack concerning his promises as men count slackness, but is long-suffering, not will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Then in verse 15, Second Peter 3, he says, Count that that salvation I'm talking to you about, that's delayed our program, count that, salva- that, 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 that long-suffering as salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul has... Re- Paul explains to you why the prophetic program has been delayed, Peter said. Why? Because God interrupted prophecy to form a new agency, the body of Christ, one he never told anybody he was going to do, uh, form, and that's the church that he's forming today, a spiritual body of believers where there is no Jew or Gentile status. See, it doesn't do you any good to be a Jew today. It doesn't do you any, it's no disadvantage to be a Jew. It's no advantage to be a Gentile, no disadvantage to be a Gentile. 
everybody's on an equal basis. We've all sinned. And we can all be saved simply by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that ministry is an equal, the ground is level today. And no man stands higher than another. And that's the message of God's grace today. And God's forming a a, a spiritual body of believers called the body of Christ because he's got something he's going to do with us in the ages to come. He planned to do it from before the foundation of the world. He just didn't tell anybody about it till you come to Paul in the Bible. Now, when you come to Paul, you see how the two programs fit together and how it all works out. But my point here is, why should I go to church today? Well, not because Hebrews 10.25, because if you quote that verse... Somebody's going to read the rest of it, and it's going to be confusion. And that's why, you know, <laughs> you find people quoting that verse to tell you to go to church, you go to that church, you're going to wind up in absolute confusion. You're not even going to know whether you're saved or not, because the next verse says, if we sin willfully after we've come to the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. You won't even know if you're in or not, because you know, the one thing you don't do know is you do sin willfully. Well, why should we attend church? First Timothy chapter 1, Peter, I'm sorry, Paul, when he writes Timothy, explains to him why he left him at Ephesus. First Timothy 1, verse 3 says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. So what's Timothy to do? What's the local church at Ephesus to be involved in? Well, first, they're not to change the doctrine that Paul committed to them. How did they do that? Verse Verse 7 Verse 6, it says, from which some having swerved, having turned aside into vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understand neither understanding what they say nor whereof they affirm. Well, you see, they didn't, they didn't abandon the Bible. They didn't, they, they didn't abandon faith in God. They didn't throw the Bible out. They just were using the Bible but weren't rightly dividing the Bible. The law, desiring to be teachers of the law, the law is Bible. The law is scriptural. It's just not dispensational. It's Paul that said, for we are not under the law, but under grace. Now, you won't find that anywhere but Paul, but that's Paul's message. Paul's message is the program is different today for the body of Christ than it was for Israel. We know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, verse 8 says, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. Think about that. If you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ today, the law is not for you. <laughs> that's clear. If you're saved, so if you go back under the law today, you're abandoning grace. You're abandoning Paul's. He said, don't change the message. Don't, don't abandon the word of God rightly divided to go back and use, don't use the Bible and not, and not rightly divide the Bible. Don't be scriptural and not dispensational. Don't give heed to fables and endless genealogies. That's how this other ideas come along. But give yourself rather to godly edifying. You see, the purpose of the local church is to provide the godly edifying of the believers, to build you up in who God has made you in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 4, he says, God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You don't get saved by coming to a church building. You get saved by believing that Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again, and that if you trust him, God will save you. You get saved by God is a just and justify them which believe in Jesus. So we're, people get saved by believing the gospel. You don't get saved by going to church. You go to church after you've believed the gospel to come to know the truth. So you get saved by believing the gospel. Then you go get established as you've been taught. That's the purpose of the church, is to equip people to go share the gospel. 
to go live, demonstrate the transforming power of the truth that God saves sinners, and then to put that on display and to preach it, to do the work of the ministry of getting that message out to others. That's why Paul tells the Philippians that he rejoiced in their fellowship in the gospel. That is, they, you see, a local church is for the purpose of doing the work of the ministry, which is getting people saved, getting people established, getting those established people with the gospel out in the community, getting people saved, getting people established in God's truth, forming the church, the body of Christ, the pillar and the ground of the truth, because the front line in the battle for the truth against the, the adversary's lie program is a fully established local church. Now look at the clock. i got to go. Wow. Let me offer you a free Bible study. I call it, What's a Church to Do? It'll tell you something about the, the, the foundation of what what's involved in a, in a local church. It's a place where the Word of God is sounded out. It's a place where the saints are edified. It's a place where the truth is defended. It's a place where the where leaders are trained and the saints are cared for. The local church is not a social organization. It's not a recreation organization. It's not an entertainment center. It's not a psychology uh, lab. It's not a social service or political activism clinic. The local church is designed to be the pillar and the ground of God's truth. You, you call us, and I'll give you this little Bible study. What's a church to do? 888-535-2300 is the number to call. 888-535-2300. You call, and we'll see that you get this, this, this Bible study. A warm welcome would await you this morning at Shorewood Bible Church. We'd be honored to have you with us today. We meet at 9.30, 10.45, and 6 p.m. tonight. Our church building is located at 1900 Hicks Road in Rolling Meadows. If you go up 50, Highway 53, where Euclid Avenue crosses 53, if you go west on Euclid Avenue, the first street is Hicks Road, and we're right on the north there. It's easy to find. 1900 Hicks Road. ShorewoodBibleChurch.org would give you all the information about where we meet, when we meet, and what to expect when you get there. ShorewoodBibleChurch.org. 888-535-2300 is the number to call if you'd like further information or like the free Bible study resource. Thanks for being with us today. Maranatha.